Hello dear ones, Jeff here again. I want to talk to you now about loyalty. In particular, my topic now is staying loyal to Jesus. What does it mean for us to stay loyal to Jesus? And under what circumstances are we going to be tested and tempted to be disloyal to him? Now, James, who was Jesus' earthly brother, or one of them, in his first in his letter in his first chapter wrote this. But a person is tempted when he is drawn away and trapped by his own evil desires. Then his evil desire conceives and gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That is spiritual death. God bless you. So our message is called Staying Loyal to Jesus. And James here warns us that uh, we can be tempted to be disloyal to him. We can be very tempted to drift right away from him. And I can't imagine anyone who gives their life to Jesus, who puts their faith in him, would ever want to be disloyal or worse to our Lord. In fact, all I can imagine is we all want to stay very loyal to him and follow him, trust and obey him for the rest of our life. I want to share with you a message from Luke chapter 22. All through this chapter, it's very long, but it goes up to over 70 verses. Three people in this chapter of Luke are illustrations of loyalty how it is tested, and how to stand up under that testing. So, beloved, this message is called Staying Loyal to Jesus. I hope you're thinking about this already. Let's look at the first person. That's poor old Judas. He was driven by greed. First verse of chapter 22 says this, Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Poor old Judas, he did far more than not staying loyal to Jesus. He betrayed him to death. And why was that? Well, we read in John's Gospel, uh, both in chapter 12 and 13, that Judas was in charge of the money. In fact, John said he was a thief. He used to help himself out of the money bag. So Judas had this problem. A foothold of greed became a stronghold for Satan. This man was driven by greed and yet he was Jesus' friend. What a strange situation to be in. Now the next verse is from verses from 21 to 23 says this and Jesus speaking at the Last Supper 
but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they, the disciples, began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. With my hand at the table, woe to him. Jesus gives Judas a final warning. And Judas has been with Jesus since the very beginning of his ministry in Galilee. He had shared the journeys and observed all that Jesus said, all the parables, all the all the messages, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and he, he saw what Jesus did for people, driving out demons and healing people and even raising people from there. Judas saw all of that. Yet it didn't stop Judas from being overwhelmed by a sense of greed. Beloved, what this says to us is, if there's anything in our life that is a foothold, a beachhead of sin, the devil can make that grow till it becomes uh, an overwhelming castle, a stronghold uh, that he has hold of us. So I urge you, as I, as I seek myself day after day, not to allow any earthly desire to take hold of me, but to constantly say to the Lord, Thy will be done. Whatever you have in store for me, that's what I want. Even to the point of the day I die, I don't want to live a single day or even an hour longer than God has already planned for me to do. I'm not going to kick and scream if it looks like I'm going to uh, leave this life because the next life is waiting for me for a start. But that's the will of God. How committed are you to doing the will of God? One more verse, two verses actually, about Judas. And this is in the garden when the crowd's arriving. It says here, While he was still speaking, Jesus that is, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? A kiss. In this ancient world, it, it was literally the ultimate sign of friendship. It still is. Um, and yet Judas could do this without any shame or any remorse or any second thoughts. Uh, and such an evil act he did. And even knowing what was going to happen to Jesus, it, it would mean this kiss meant Jesus' death. What would it mean today for you or for me to betray Jesus? What would it mean to be, to say on one hand, oh, I trust you, I believe in you, I serve you, I follow you, but our thoughts and our actions are doing the very opposite of all that we claim. A Christian is someone who has given their life to Jesus, someone who, in whom Jesus lives in their heart by faith through the grace of God. We put our faith in him because of what he did on the cross. He comes into our heart and through his Holy Spirit, he, he lives there and gives us eternal life forever. And so for us to believe that and yet to do the very things that Jesus hates or despises or dislikes or is against would be an act of betrayal. A terrible thing to imagine. And we should think about what, what would it cost me? What would I, 
What's my price to betray Jesus? Judas did it for 30 pieces of silver, a man who knew Jesus intimately. So we should never say, oh, I would never have done that. Because given the fact that Judas continually stole from the money, the money bag, uh, a position, a situation of trust, and he kept making out to all the others and to Jesus himself that he was a loyal follower. Yet all the time, these thoughts were overwhelming him of greed and avarice. Poor Judas. His name is synonymous with betrayal. Uh, it was a very popular name. You know, in the, that wonderful book, uh, Ben-Hur, uh, that was Ben-Hur's name, Judah Ben-Hur. It was a very common name, but it's become a name that no one would, would uh, willingly give their child a Judas. The second person in Luke chapter 22 is Peter. Now, in this situation, Peter was a man driven by fear. Jesus spoke to him in Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. I'll read it for you. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he, that is Simon, replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times that you knew me. Peter was very overconfident and he was very ignorant of his own weaknesses of conviction. Now it says here that Satan was seeking others. He was seeking to infect all the uh, disciples so that uh, they'd all turn against him too. But uh, Peter was singled out. And the Lord Jesus gives him this wonderful statement. Uh, I'm going to commission you that when this is all over, when you've had this experience and when you've fallen and when you've failed, I want you to strengthen your brothers, strengthen my disciples. Because Jesus knew what was going to happen. And yet, even before it did happen, he said, I'm going to take you back, Peter. I'm going to wel welcome you back into the fold. You know, Peter made a plea of commitment. But when we do that, it can only be when we've been tested in the, in the fire of a severe crisis. And Peter wasn't praying. He, he wasn't in the garden with Jesus. Um, and he was also exhausted from sorrow uh, when Jesus said earlier that he was going to be betrayed by one of the twelve and then killed. Next passage to read is about Peter is from 54 to 62 in Luke 22. Then seizing him, that's Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed along at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he, Peter, denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later on, someone else saw him and said, You're also uh, one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. 
about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. A servant girl. And the other Gospels uh, indicate it might have been two women. It's hard to tell. Uh, not all Gospels say exactly the same thing, which is the indication of their truth, because they were written by different people at different times. You know, Peter wept at what he'd done, but he didn't confess, and he didn't go right back inside there and saying, I'm sorry, I do know him, I am a disciple of Jesus, I do follow him. Shame and fear had gripped him, taken over him. So, I want to ask you, as I ask myself, what does it mean today to deny Jesus? To go along with him for so long and yet to come to the point when someone asks you, are you a Christian? Say, no, I'm not a Christian. Are you a follower of Jesus? No, I don't even know who Jesus is. What a terrible thing to deny our faith in God. A very famous man denied the power of God once. He was President of the United States. Richard Nixon, in the early 70s, uh, Apollo 13 had that terrible um, explosion on board and the three astronauts were trapped. Uh, there was a great movie about it, Tom Hanks. And the whole world was watching and praying for them. And Richard Nixon asked the people of America, in fact, the people of the world, to pray. He asked them to pray for the safe return of Apollo 13. And when I lived in America, I looked this up in one of the local papers, and sure enough, it went through the microfiche file, and there was this article. And what it said was, when the astronauts returned, they, they uh, were picked up by a helicopter when the capsule splashed down in the Pacific Ocean, and they were taken uh, by plane to Hawaii. Uh, the city of Honolulu, and Richard Nixon, the president, met them there to welcome them home safely. And when he gave a press conference afterward, this is what he said. Isn't it wonderful how the skill and our, our science has brought these men home safely? That's what he said. He didn't say at that moment, we prayed and Almighty God answered our prayer. In fact, at that point, Richard Nixon, who was a devout uh, Quaker, he'd been brought up as a Christian all his life. He was a good friend of Dr. Billy Graham, the evangelist. Uh, he always attended church. But at that moment, when the whole world was watching, he left God out of it. He denied his faith. A few days later, he called a prayer, a day of prayer and thanksgiving. But you know, he missed the big moment when he could have said, it was God and our prayers that brought these men home safely. So it's a terrible thing to deny our faith, especially when we've been so close to the Lord, as Peter was. And Peter learned a mighty strong lesson from that. And then we move to the third person in the story, and of course, it's the Lord Jesus himself. He was driven by love. 
uh, he wasn't driven by loyalty to himself as the other two, Judas and Peter, should have been. He was driven by loyalty to the Father. He was driven by love. Verses 39 to 46 explain what happened in the garden. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he arose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow, the sorrow of him telling them he was going to be arrested and tried and executed. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. See, Jesus knew that this was his hour, the hour to honour his Father in heaven by offering his body as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He was going to be, he was, he was born to be the Lamb of God. And he prayed fervently three times for an hour and asked the three disciples, Peter, James and John, to help him in prayer. And as he prayed, he fully surrendered his human will to the will of the Father. His prayer enabled him to stand firm when all the disciples who should have been praying uh, gave up and uh, once he was arrested, they fled. We move on now to the last passage I'm going to read for you from verses 66 to 70. And Jesus is now um, under arrest. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. And Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the Almighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am, which is a way of saying, Yes, you said it truly. Before the Sanhedrin, he confessed his identity as the Son of Man and the Son of God because of his total loyalty to the Father. All through Jesus' earthly ministry, he kept saying things, uh, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I only say what the Father gives me to say. He was completely loyal, uh, absolutely and totally, completely loyal to his Father. It reminds me of Joseph, uh, way back in the book of Genesis, when Joseph was uh, being uh, tempted and accosted uh, by Potiphar's wife, and she was always begging him to sleep with him, he said to her, how can I do this thing and uh, against your husband and sin against God? He knew that any act of disloyalty and sin would be against God in heaven. And Joseph was totally loyal. 
to God. Just like Jesus is totally loyal to his Father. They are one. They are a unity with the Holy Spirit. Beloved, how shall we stay loyal to Jesus in any situation or any adverse uh, pressure circumstance? It's very simple. By us seeking him and learning to surrender to his will at every moment. A constant process of saying, thy will be done. Thy will be done. I'm following you. I don't want to do anything that would be disloyal to you. Even the slightest thing, even the little minuscule things that every decision we make is for Jesus' sake. We should practice what we would do in a given event. And so we just keep on turning up to when we're expected to. And we keep on testifying uh, whenever anyone asks us uh, to our faith in Jesus. In fact, Peter, when he wrote his book, his letter rather, 1 Peter 3.15 said, But in your hearts reverence Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to make it offence to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you. But do it with gentleness and reverence. Peter learned his lesson. He never again denied Christ. He never again acted disloyal to Jesus. He followed him faithfully the rest of his life. He had his stumbles in, his his moments in, his wobbles like we all do. But he kept his faith and he kept his face forward following Jesus through his life. The best thing for us to say is, Yes, Lord, with your strength, I will follow you, I will trust you, and I will stay loyal to you. God bless you, my dear friends, as you take God's word to heart this day. Amen.